So last night, CENTCOM, as well as a bunch of other foreign countries, part of an American alliance, struck at targets in Yemen. They struck the Houthis. The Houthis are a ragtag group of terrorists who have taken over a large swath of Yemen after a massive civil war between the Houthis and the Saudis over control of the country. The Iranians have been funding the Houthis for years and years and years. And we'll get into the history of what exactly happened with the Houthis. Suffice it to say, the reason that all of this is happening right now is because the Houthis decided that they were going to try to act as an Iranian proxy arm and generate support for Iran by attacking Israel and then by more largely attacking shipping in the Red Sea. Now, shooting off a few rockets or missiles at Israel to get down by American ships or by the Saudis, that really didn't have much of an impact on world opinion or on the world at large. But attacking ships in the Red Sea absolutely does. According to CENTCOM, the Houthis have carried out at least 27 attacks on commercial ships since mid-November between December 16th and January 4th, according to the Wall Street Journal. The U.S. Navy said it had shot down 61 missiles and drones. 1,500 commercial vessels had safely crossed the Red Sea. But the biggest problem with the hubbub in the Red Sea and in the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, which is where a huge percentage of the world's oil supplies travel through, and a huge percentage of shipping generally travels through that strait, shipping is down dramatically. According to CNBC, just a couple of days ago, rates for freight traveling from Asia to Northern Europe more than doubled to above $4,000 per 40-foot equivalent unit. It's a container. Asia Mediterranean prices climbed to over $5,100 per container. Some carriers had announced rates above $6,000 per 40-foot container. You're talking about, in some cases, a doubling of cost. Rates from Asia to North America's East Coast have risen by 55%. West Coast prices climbed 63%. So if you like the supply chain bottlenecks created by COVID, basically, this group of pirates, in an attempt to generate support for Iran among the Arab street in the Middle East, they have basically created massive cost for American and Western consumers, and they've shut down large swaths of world trade. Now, you have a 90% reduction year over year in traffic through the Red Sea from the prior year. Well, all of this drove last night an allied attack on certain resources in Yemen controlled by the Houthis. It was a telegraphed punch, meaning this entire exercise was designed to deter the Houthis, not designed to actually kill or destabilize the Houthis, who are in fact, as we say, are a terrorist group that governs a large swath of part of Yemen. The reason to telegraph the attack is to allow Iranians to get their military forces out of the way so as not to provoke and provoke some sort of escalation with Iran more directly, because, of course, Iran has lots of forces on the ground helping out the Houthis in Yemen. According to The Wall Street Journal, that U.S.-led coalition launched more than a dozen strikes on Houthi rebel targets in Yemen two days after the Yemeni rebel force defied an ultimatum to halt its attacks on ships transiting the Red Sea with a barrage of missiles and drones. Those strikes were conducted by the United States and British forces. They were supported by Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands. Now, the Saudis, they said that they were concerned about the escalation, but let's be real about this. Bahrain works very closely with the Saudis. Bahrain would not have joined this coalition or allowed its airspace to be used for an attack like this without the go-ahead of the Saudis. The coalition strikes early Friday morning local time targeted radar systems, air defense systems, storage and launch sites for one-way attack, unmanned aerial systems, cruise missiles, and ballistic missiles, said U.S. Central Command. A U.S. submarine, several destroyers and jet fighters, part of the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower Aircraft Carrier Strike Group, took part, according to a U.S. defense official. Who the officials reported explosions in the capital of Yemen, which is called Sana, and the provinces of Hodeida, Sada, Damar, and elsewhere. They blamed this on the American Zionist British aggression against Yemen. Now, Israel did not take part in these attacks, though obviously Israel does have aircraft that are capable of taking part in attacks like this. Sana hosts the Houthis missile inventories attack on vessels were launched from the port of Hodeida, according to shipping executives. 
President Biden immediately issued a statement. He said these targeted strikes are a clear message. The United States and our partners will not tolerate attacks on our personnel or allow hostile actors to imperil freedom of navigation in one of the world's most critical commercial routes. And will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce as necessary. Meanwhile, the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the Royal Air Force participated in the strikes also because, quote, the United Kingdom will always stand up for freedom of navigation and the free flow of trade. Four British Typhoon jet fighters targeted a Houthi drone base in northwestern Yemen and an airfield used to launch cruise missiles over the Red Sea. Quote, early indications are that the Houthis' ability to threaten merchant shipping has taken a blow. The Houthis, of course, say they're not going to be deterred because the way this works in the Middle East is that you have basically terrorist groups that provoke a response from an overwhelming power. They get their asses absolutely kicked. And then they claim that just because they survived, they won. That's what's currently going on in the Gaza Strip. Hamas provokes a gigantic Israeli military response, the largest Israeli military response to any attack since 1973. And they get their asses absolutely handed to them. And most of their fighters killed and most of their leadership killed. And then if they are breathing at the end of it, they claim victory. The Houthis are playing the same game. It's it's really, honestly, cowardly sort of stuff. Nasser al-Din Amir, a Houthi official, told the Wall Street Journal, this is a brutal aggression. I love this. It's a brutal aggression. Honest to God, if America and its allies wanted to commit, quote, unquote, brutal aggression against the Houthis, this guy would not be alive to talk about it. Say they will undoubtedly pay its price. We will not waver in our stance to support the Palestinian people, regardless of the cost. After the coalition strikes, the U.S. had not seen any direct retaliatory action directed toward U.S. or other coalition members in the Red Sea. And again, the strikes came with a lot of warning. One week ago, the U.S., Britain, key allies issued an ultimatum saying stop it. And then they didn't stop it. And then on New Year's Day, Biden convened his national security team to discuss the options. And then despite the coalition warning, the Houthis fired an anti-ship ballistic missile that fell into the water within sight of a commercial vessel. Now, the Houthis knew that the United States and its allies were going to strike all of these targets. And so they had relocated some of their weapons and equipment and fortified others. The question is whether this is going to deter further action from the Houthis. The answer is probably not. When you telegraph punches like this, it is very unlikely that that is going to convince the Houthis to stop what they are doing. The allies, for their part, they put forward a statement explaining what they were doing. This is a joint statement from the governments of the United States, Australia, Bahrain, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Germany, Italy, Japan, Netherlands, New Zealand, Republic of Korea, Singapore, and the United Kingdom. Say, recognizing the broad consensus as expressed by 44 countries around the world on December 19th, 2023, as well as the statement by the UN Security Council on December 1st, 2023, condemning Houthi attacks against commercial vessels transiting the Red Sea. In light of ongoing attacks, including a significant escalation over the past week, targeting commercial vessels with missiles, small boats, and attempted hijackings, we hereby reiterate the following and warn the Houthis against further attacks. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be mostly that, private. Well, the internet has now changed everything. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see. That was something that only celebrities used to worry about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is now a public figure. To keep my data private, when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part, they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of the data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use that IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. My IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers, which makes it much more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. The best part? 
It's really easy to use ExpressVPN. No matter what device you are on, phone, laptop, smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button and now you're protected. So if, like me, you believe your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Ongoing who the attacks, say the allies, in the Red Sea are illegal, unacceptable, profoundly destabilizing. There is no lawful justification for intentionally targeting civilian shipping and naval vessels. Attacks on vessels, including commercial vessels, using unmanned aerial vehicles, small boats and missiles, including the first use of anti-ship ballistic missiles against such vessels, are a direct threat to the freedom of navigation that serves as the bedrock of global trade in one of the world's most critical waterways. These attacks threaten innocent lives from all over the world and constitute a significant international problem that demands collective action. Nearly 15% of all global seaborne trade passes through the Red Sea, including 8% of global grain trade, 12% of seaborne traded oil, 8% of the world's liquefied natural gas trade. International shipping companies continue to reroute their vessels around the Cape of Good Hope, adding significant cost and weeks of delay to the delivery of goods and ultimately jeopardizing the movement of critical food, fuel, and humanitarian assistance throughout the world. Let our message now be clear, say the Allies. We call for the immediate end of these illegal attacks and release of unlawfully detained vessels and crews. The Houthis will bear the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives. The global economy and the free flow of commerce in the region's critical waterways remain committed to the international rules-based order and are determined to hold malign actors accountable for unlawful seizures and attacks. Now, part of this is directed at the Houthis. Part of it is directed at Iran because Iran actually did seize another ship just yesterday. And part of this is directed at China because China obviously has a very large interest in a Taiwanese election that is about to happen over there. The Taiwanese election, all the parties involved are not interested in reunifying with China, but there are some parties that are a little bit more appeasement oriented toward China. The reason the United States cares about this is because TSMC is the largest sophisticated microchip producer on planet Earth. They're sophisticated microchips are in all of America's military tech. 92% of all sophisticated microchips on planet Earth, the superconductors, those are created in Taiwan. Right now, there is a military refusal by Taiwan to give that sort of technology to the Chinese. It's one of the reasons the Chinese military is significantly less sophisticated and developed than the United States military. Were those microchips to be made available to the Chinese, not only would it facilitate an invasion of Taiwan, it would also directly threaten the United States because suddenly the military capacity of the Chinese would be radically increased. So what's happening right here is if the Chinese look and they see that global shipping could be threatened by, again, a group of poverty-stricken pirates in Yemen, then they would say to themselves, okay, what sort of damage can we do with a weak West in the Taiwan Strait, where a huge percentage of the world's trade is located in the South China Sea. I mean, wh what exactly could we do? They could project theoretically to the Straits of Malacca where nearly 100% of global trade has to pass through. So China is looking on and they are seeing whether Western weakness would allow, again, for a bunch of not insanely well-equipped pirates, terrorists, to hold up all of global trade and double supply chain prices. And so it's very important that the West did something about this just on a practical level. Now, on the moral level, the Houthis are some of the worst people on planet Earth. In a legitimately evil, awful group. So the Houthis are an Iranian proxy group. Iran, as we've explained, is a terror sponsor. It has its tentacles all over the Middle East. It has its tentacles in Iraq, obviously, where they've had significant impact on the government of Iraq. They have their tentacles in Syria, where they're allied with Bashar Assad. They have their tentacles in Lebanon, where they effectively control the government via Hezbollah. They have their tentacles in Hamas. They have their tentacles in Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And they have their tentacles with the Houthis. Those tentacles are all over the Middle East. Now, one of the big problems that Iran historically has had is that Iran is Shia and a huge percentage of the Middle East is Sunni. 
And because of that, there is not a lot of solidarity between the Shia and the Sunni. I mean, the, the reality is that whatever the hatred is for the Jewish state in the Middle East, the hatred for Israel, that's mostly a sideshow between the ongoing wars that have been happening between Shia and Sunni over the course of the past several decades. A multiple more Arabs and Persians have been killed in a variety of wars since the 1980s than anything that's happened with regard to the Jews. And all the hatred of the Jews does is it allows for the possibility of some sort of cross-cultural communication between Shia and Sunni in the Middle East. And that's what the Houthis are trying to do right now. They're trying to rally support to the Iranian side in any sort of Shia-Sunni conflict by siding with the Palestinians. Because one of the things that's happened is that the Palestinians, being an incredibly radicalized population that literally no Arab state will take in, not only will no Arab state take in the Palestinians, Arab states have expelled the Palestinians before. In the aftermath of the Gulf War, 200 to 300,000 Palestinians were expelled from Kuwait because they sided with Saddam Hussein in his war against Kuwait in the first Gulf War. So none of the Arab states are interested in taking in the Palestinian population. And so the Hamasniks went over to Iran and they worked a deal where Iran became one of their chief suppliers. And it turns out that the Sunni states, they have no interest in working with the Palestinians, again, very radicalized population that destabilized virtually every regime they've come into contact with. By the way, this is why you're seeing Jordan right now issuing these very loud statements because they are deeply afraid of their own population. 70% of Jordan is Palestinian and they are afraid that their kingdom will be overthrown. This would not be the first time they had feared this. Obviously, in the early 1970s, Jordan expelled tens of thousands of Palestinians because of threats of overthrowing the regime in what was called Black September. So the basic idea here is that if you are Iran and you are seeking to buy legitimacy with the Arab street, you polarize the region around the Palestinians. Because what you say is, look at all these Arab states. They want to make peace with Israel so they can side against us. But the real enemy is the Juden. The real enemy is the Jews. And if we all remember that, then maybe we won't have any Abraham Accords. And Iran, of course, hates the Abraham Accords because it makes them a more minor player in the Middle East. It creates an overwhelming coalition of force that exists around its borders. That's the whole purpose of the Hamas attack. It's why the Yemeni Houthis are now involved in a, in a fight that really has nothing to do with them. Because again, this is all being directed from above by Iran. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Now, the Houthis themselves, as I say, just the, that group, them, the worst people in the world, their literal slogan, I kid you not, it's like on their bumper stickers or something, if they had bumper stickers on their goats, their, their literal slogan is, quote, Allahu Akbar, death to America, death to Israel, cursed be the Jews, victory to Islam. It's a little long and it doesn't rhyme, but it pretty much says it all. That's a pretty strong slogan. They're not really hiding the ball there, but it turns out that their hatred is not just against America and Israel and the Juden. Their hatred also is for their own children, because apparently about one third of the entire 
Houthi military force is underage. They use child soldiers regularly. By the way, not a rarity. Iran used to use child soldiers. In the Iran-Iraq war, the Iranian regime famously gave golden keys to kids and sent them out to the battlefield. The keys were supposed to unlock the gates of heaven. This is a real thing that happened during the Iran-Iraq war. By the way, Hamas uses child soldiers all the time. Westerners don't understand how people who are non-Western fight. They don't understand this, but this is a reality in the Middle East. It was a reality in Afghanistan, by the way. I remember recently we talked with Tim Kennedy. He's a Green Beret. There's nothing more dangerous than an 11-year-old with an AK. And, we're, and if, if you're a Westerner, you're like, what are you even talking about? An 11-year-old with an AK. But when you actually recruit children into your army, that's what you get. The Houthis have been doing this for years. According to VOA News, Yemen's Houthi rebels are still recruiting children into their military ranks to fight in the country's grinding civil war. By the way, hundreds of thousands of people have been killed in the civil war. Once again, demonstrating the world does not give any bleeps at all about dead Muslims so long as other Muslims are killing them. Zero bleeps, none, zip, zilch. Two Houthi officials told the AP the rebels recruited several hundred children, including those as young as 10 over the past two months. They've been deployed to front lines as part of a buildup of forces taking place during a UN broker truce, the UN doing monumental work. This is back in June of 2022. The Houthis have used what they call summer camps to disseminate their religious ideology and to recruit boys to fight. By the way, Hamas does exactly the same thing in the Gaza Strip, exactly the same thing. So when you see, by the way, statistics from the Gaza Strip put out by Hamas, where it says how many women and children are killed, the designation of children, meaning in the West would be anyone under the age of 18, that includes a bunch of people who are, in fact, Hamas operatives. Because they start them real young in the Gaza. Doesn't mean everyone who's being killed, obviously, is a member of Hamas or Hamas operative. But Israel is being very, very meticulous about who they are killing. And a lot of the people that they are killing, unfortunately, are, in fact, minors who have been recruited into the ranks of terrorist groups by terrorists. Because terrorists don't have your moral standards. They think that your morality is stupid and they take advantage of it. The Yemeni conflict, of course, erupted in 2014. That is when the Houthis descended from their northern enclave and they took Sana'a. And a Saudi-led coalition entered the war in early 2015. And this brings up exactly what Joe Biden did. Okay, so what is happening right now? The, que- the only question as to Western strikes on the Houthis is whether those are sufficient to deter the Houthis from continuing their piratical activity in the Red Sea and the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. Now, all the talk about Iran getting directly involved in the war or escalating into a larger war with the United States, that'd be the dumbest thing Iran ever did. The way that the Iranian mullahs are thinking right now is we're about five minutes from developing a nuclear weapon, at which point we're untouchable. Why would we get in a shooting war with the most powerful military force in the history of the world? That'd be like the dumbest thing they ever did. So right now, a lot of what's going on is trying to uphold the credibility of their supposed commitment to Hamas. And they made a commitment to Hamas that they were going to back Hamas. Hamas, again, succeeded beyond its wildest dreams on October 7th. They're getting their asses absolutely handed to them in the Gaza Strip. And so what you see is Iranians, other, Iran's other proxies, Hezbollah, the Houthis, you're seeing them do these sort of low-level attacks against Israel and its allies in the region in an attempt to establish credibility with the Arab street or the Muslim street. And that's what that is. But they don't want to provoke a general war. I mean, again, if Iran provoked a general war, it would be the worst thing they ever did. By the way, unlike Iraq, during the Iraq war, there were certainly people who wanted to rise up against Saddam Hussein's regime. The biggest problem with Iran is the IRGC, which is a generalized terrorist group. That is, the, that is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, their giant army. But the actual population of Iran is significantly more moderate and significantly more modernized than the population of Iraq, for example. Again, none of this is a case that we should get into a war with Iran. The point here is that Iran doesn't want us to get into a war with Iran, which is why we're going to back them down. The only question is whether the actions of Joe Biden by effectively you know, hitting empty buildings is going to be enough to back the Houthis off or whether 
the United States and its allies are going to have to escalate this thing far enough that the Houthis actually back down? Are they going to have to threaten to destroy the Houthis in order to back them down? All of this, by the way, could have been prevented. All of this could have been prevented. And in fact, none of this happened. Well, for example, Donald Trump was president. Why? Well, maybe it's because Joe Biden is a weakling on foreign policy. Weakness on foreign policy breeds aggression. Aggression breeds response. This is the typical pattern in Western foreign policy. The West says, we'll go hands off. We don't want anything to do with this. We're just going to move out. And then something aggressive happens that hurts American interests. And then America has to respond. If America responds harshly enough, suddenly enough, sometimes the water's cool. But if America doesn't respond harshly enough, that breeds a response by the other side. America has to escalate. That is the problem. So the question here is whether this particular response will be enough to back the Houthis down. I somehow, we'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and jump into loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John to come home to as I slip into my Tommy John loungewear set. I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, well, if I have to walk to the park with my kids, I don't look like a schlub. And guys, you might be wondering how these things can get any better. Their underwear is the best. I've been talking about this for years. If you haven't tried them, you're missing out. I took all the other underwear I had. I threw them out. I only wear Tommy John's. Tommy John's stylish and soft second skin underwear has dozens of comfort innovations, like a supportable contour pouch, a breathable light wick, moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Plus, Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee protects your most valuable assets. So what exactly are you waiting for? Try Tommy John today. You can thank me later. For silky soft comfort with sophisticated style, check out Tommy John's luxurious second skin limited edition colors right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. They're going fast, so hurry to TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Again, all of this was created by Joe Biden's idiotic foreign policy. When Robert Gates said that, that Joe Biden had never made a good foreign policy decision, that's about right. That's about right. I'm going to do a couple flashbacks here. So back in 2020, you'll recall that Donald Trump authorized the killing of an Iranian terror official named Qasem Soleimani. He was one of the masterminds of pretty much all of Iran's terror wings all around the globe. And he traveled to Iraq, so he wasn't inside Iran, and he was killed in Iraq. And Joe Biden, who was running for president at the time, gave this response to the killing of Qasem Soleimani, which again, was a way for the Trump administration to tell the Iranians, stop facilitating terror. If you keep facilitating terror, you never know, your head might be in a different place from your body tomorrow morning. When it comes to Joe, but here was Joe Biden's response at the time. Donald Trump does not have, let me make it clear, does not have the authority to go to war with Iran without congressional, congressional authorization. Without working with Congress, it is not optional. It is not an optional part of his job. Presidential notification of Congress about the need to exercise war powers cannot be satisfied in 280 characters or less. And no president should ever take the United States to war without securing the informed consent of the American people. So first of all, this is idiotic when he said it. The killing of Qasem Soleimani was not taking America to war in Iran. And as we'll see, this is now a common talking point against the United States and its allies ensuring freedom of shipping in the Red Sea. But this was Biden's angle on Iran from the very beginning. And in fact, one of the very first things that the Biden administration did when they entered office, like one of the very first things in the first month of his administration is they delisted the Houthis as a global terrorist organization. According to PBS.org, this is February 16th, 2021, the Biden administration officially lifted the designation of the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen as a global terrorist organization. 
That announcement came within a larger review of the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. You'll remember that Joe Biden came into office ripping the Saudis and praising the Iranians. That worked out amazing in the Middle East. <laughs> Slow clap for this dolt. On January 11th, 2021, the Trump administration opposed terrorism sanctions on the Houthis as a group. This is Omri Sarin reporting. To limit any humanitarian fallout, they broadly exempted aid groups, agriculture, medicine, etc. But the Washington, D.C. expert class, think tankers, journalists, the Hill, Democratic operatives, always considered anything Trump did illegitimate. So they said they were going to reverse course. Robert Malley, who had hired operatives who literally answered to the Iranian regime, was put in charge of America's Iran policy. So Tony Blinken, at his first press availability, the Secretary of State, on January 28th, 2021, he was asked which Trump administration policies from the last several months he was going to prioritize reversing. He said that getting rid of sanctions on the Houthis was, quote, the priority. He said, quote, the Houthis control territory, I believe, contains about 80 percent of Yemen's population. We want to make sure that any of these steps, including the designation, don't make what is already an incredibly difficult task even more difficult. That is the provision of humanitarian aid to the people of Yemen. OK, then Biden officials suspended terrorism sanctions on the Houthis January 25th. They announced revoking them February 5th. Within days, the Houthis started launching mass murders of Yemeni civilians and attacking Saudi Arabia. So then they said they, they tried to futz their way out of it, but eventually they just released the terrorism designation on February 16th. Right, so that was a move that was made overtly by the Biden administration. It was a thing they wanted to do. Meanwhile, you recall, Joe Biden took a very anti-Saudi position with regard to Yemen. Because pushed by his left, the idea was that backing the Saudis in their war against the Houthis was more trouble than it was worth. And the way to create a humanitarian peace in the Middle East was not to allow the Saudis to continue to fight the Houthis. The Houthis, by the way, literally enslaved people. They brought back slavery. I'm not kidding you. That's a real thing they did. And Joe Biden at this time, he was too busy worrying about how mean Mohammed bin Salman was, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. This is back on February 4th, 2021. We're also stepping up our diplomacy to end the war in Yemen, a war which has created humanitarian and strategic catastrophe. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment, we're ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. And that worked out amazing. It turns out that defanging the Saudis in the face of the Houthis, that worked out great. You mean appeasement of terrorism doesn't work? There's a shock. Meanwhile, the same Biden administration trying to force Israel to appease terrorists in the Palestinian Authority. I mean, it's unbelievably stupid. All this is unbelievably stupid and entirely preventable. The math in the Middle East is very simple. Power is the operative concept. If you don't have it, you lose. Weakness, appeasement is showing your neck. And that's what Joe Biden did. The White House showed its neck to the Houthis and the Houthis decided to take a bite. Meanwhile, Iran continues to escalate. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Iranian Navy said it had seized an oil tanker off the coast of Oman that has been at the center of a dispute between Tehran and Washington, raising the stakes as a U.S.-led coalition launched strikes on rebel targets in Yemen. Iran-backed Houthi rebels from Yemen have repeatedly targeted the waterways, of course. Apparently, Iran's Navy identified the boarded tanker as a Greek-managed ship called St. Nicholas. The tanker was impounded in retaliation for the theft of oil by the American regime, according to the Iranian army. Iranian state media showed Iranian commandos landing on the ship's deck from a military helicopter. Now, it's a little bit more complex because that particular vessel, which was used to be known as the Suez Rajan, its charterers pled guilty to charges filed in U.S. court that it actually carried sanctioned Iranian oil. The company was fined. Its Iranian oil cargo was seized. The vessel sat idle off the coast of Texas for months because federal prosecutors 
were trying to figure out who exactly would be willing to offload the oil. Eventually, the Justice Department eventually contracted help to fulfill its forfeiture action. But security analysts and former U.S. officials said the case suggested U.S. efforts to deter Iranian aggression were failing. A spokesperson for the Iranian mission at the U.N. said, quote, the Iranian army seizure of the oil tanker does not constitute a hijacking. Rather, it is a lawful undertaking sanctioned by a court order and is in response to the theft of Iran's very own oil. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on balance of nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience balance of nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Not only do blinds enhance the aesthetic appeal of your home, they also offer practical benefits. By effectively blocking out harmful UV rays, they help protect your furniture and flooring from fading, ensuring your interiors retain their beauty for years to come. Their insulating properties help regulate the temperature inside your home, keeping it comfortable year-round while potentially reducing your energy bills. With over 40,000 five-star reviews, Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings. You can measure and install them yourself or have Blinds.com send local professionals to take care of the installation for you. There's no showroom, no retail markets, no matter how many, or installation is just one low cost. And if you don't have an eye for design, Blinds.com experts are always available to help choose the style and color right for you. Everything they sell is covered by their perfect fit and 100% satisfaction guarantee. With hundreds of styles and colors to choose from, Blinds.com is sure to have the perfect treatments for your windows. Shop Blinds.com's anniversary sale right now through March 13th for up to 50% off. Again, save up to 50% off for a limited time at blinds.com. And when you check out, don't forget to tell them you heard about them at the Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. So again, what's going to be enough to push Iran off the ball is the big question. Meanwhile, the left is just mad about this because the left is fully on the side of the worst people on earth. Literally the worst people on earth. There are no worse people than the Houthis. They are truly Hamas and the Houthis, the same. Hamas, ISIS, and the Houthis, effectively the same. These are, they have some different agenda items. But in terms of the level of evil, no distinction whatsoever. The New York Times says that this leads to the possibility of a broader conflict. The broader conflict was already there. I noticed when all the prices started to go up because they had shut down an actual shipping hub. I love the New York Times. So it's not a broader conflict when the Houthis are shutting down global shipping and everybody has to reroute around the Cape of Good Hope. That's not that's not a problem. The problem is when you try to stop them from doing that. Again, even the so much of anti-Israel sentiment is actually just anti-Western, anti-American sentiment. So much of it is if America defends itself, that's the offensive that's going to lead to escalation. If Israel defends itself, that's the that's the big problem here. So everybody is worried about the escalation. Meanwhile, Democrats, the more radical Democrats, they, of course, are jumping in and saying it's illegal. We can't we can't have this. We have to let the Houthis do this thing. So Ro Khanna, who again, I know Ro, nice enough guy, but this is ridiculous. He says the president needs to come to Congress before launching a strike against the Houthis in Yemen. 
and involving us in another Middle East conflict. That is Article 1 of the Constitution. No, it isn't. No, it is not. Okay, the president does have the power to respond in attack scenarios and in wartime scenarios. And under the War Powers Act, he then has to inform Congress within 60 days of what he is doing. And then Congress has the ability to stop what he is doing within 60 days. That's the actual legal regime that applies here. The president does have inherent power to take immediate military action without informing Congress. This is not a declaration of war on the Houthis. Fired a few missiles at a few empty factories is what exactly happened. Representative Val Hoyle of Oregon tweeted the same thing, quote, these airstrikes have not been authorized by Congress. The Constitution is clear. Congress has the sole authority to authorize military involvement in overseas conflicts. Uh, No, again, that's wrong. The War Powers Act governs here. The president has 40 hours to inform Congress and Congress has been duly informed. Meanwhile, Pramila Jayapal says this is an unacceptable violation of the Constitution. Article one requires military action be authorized by Congress. I love that all of the exact same members of Congress who said that Joe Biden had the inherent authority to cancel a trillion dollars in student loan debt, that Joe Biden had the inherent ability to mandate that 80 million Americans take a vaccine, that Barack Obama had the inherent power to simply pardon millions of illegal immigrants through prosecutorial discretion under DACA. These same people are like, if the president fires a, a missile and hits a camel in the ass, he better inform us. It's a violation of Article 1. That's like, the, that's the most important thing. Oh, gosh, these people. Like, this is, that is not what the Constitution says. It isn't. I'm sorry, it isn't. The president does have some inherent war-making power. The extent of that war-making power is defined by the War Powers Act, as the Supreme Court has already ruled multiple times. You know, again, so much of this is not about even what's going on with Iran. There's an axis that has formed. It is Iran and China and Russia. And North Korea is sort of part of it, but nobody cares about North Korea. But the, the, it, that's the axis. The axis, and when I say axis, I mean they actively work with one another. Like Iran gets nuclear technology from Russia. Iran ships drones to Russia. China is getting oil from Iran and Russia. Right? That, that is the axis that has formed. What's more important is that, again, displays of weakness tend to lead to more aggression in global politics. That's just the way this works. So right now there's an election going on in Taiwan. And one of the questions is going to be just how appeasement oriented is the government, the new government of Taiwan going to be? Because if Taiwan started shipping military tech to China, China would probably be like, okay, we got what we wanted. We don't need to invade or anything. There's an entire article in Politico called, if they really want to take Taiwan back, what can we do? On the eve of elections, Taiwanese voters face a choice between appeasement and resistance. So why exactly would they appease China? Because they're afraid the West is not going to come to their defense is the real answer. And honestly, under Joe Biden, why would they believe the West is going to come to their defense? I know that Joe Biden has tried to restore some level of credibility completely lost during Afghanistan. The United States made a 20-year commitment to tens of thousands of American allies in Afghanistan, people who actively worked with the American government, made a commitment to tens of millions of people that the Taliban would not remain in control of the government. And then they left all of those people to be ruled by the worst people on earth. Again, the Taliban, the Houthis of a piece. Okay, this is not that they work together, but they have the same general view of the world despite religious differences. The, they tr- the, the Biden administration tried to restore deterrence by providing aid in Ukraine. And to a certain extent, they did. The question is whether it was enough. Is that enough to stop China from doing what it must? Now, again, here's my out-of-the-box prediction for how the rest of this year goes. If Joe Biden continues to trail Donald Trump in the polls, 
If we get to June, July, again, assuming Trump is the nominee, if we get to June, July, and Donald Trump is up in the polls by four or five points nationally and leading in the swing states, I think China will make a move on Taiwan. And the Taiwanese, I think, know this because the Taiwanese are thinking to themselves, okay, if the U.S. isn't going to come to our defense, then what exactly are we supposed to do? Congress recently rejected, of course, a Biden administration proposal, according to Politico, to send more than $100 billion in aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. That legislation failed a procedural vote. According to Angela Ong, a Taiwanese-American clean energy advocate, she used to say that if China stepped in and tried to shut down the Taiwan Strait, the United States would step in. And she says that she is unsure now. She says, when a Taiwanese person comes to me and says, you see what they did to Ukraine, they encourage them to stand up and fight Russia. And then when things don't go well, they're abandoned. I find it very difficult to have a good comeback to that. But it's not really about Ukraine only. It's about Afghanistan. It's about the U.S.'s commitments in Iraq. It's about the fact that the United States population generally does not have the will for long occupations or wars, which is fine, but you can't get involved in those things in the first place. If you're not going to get involved in those things, you have to involve yourself in preventative measures so that you don't actually have to engage in the long-standing sort of occupations and wars that the United States engaged in for the first 20 years of the new millennium. In just one second, we'll get to more on foreign policy because, again, the U.S. military is in catastrophic shape under Joe Biden, truly catastrophic shape. First, it's a signature razor from Jeremy's Razors. Look at this. This right here. Behold, a razor. The Precision 5. Get one handle plus one blade cartridge kit for only $14.99. As you can see, it is magnificent. It is crafted with a luxurious tungsten handle, five welded steel blades, a precision trimmer for a close, smooth shave around hairlines and hard-to-reach places. But remember, the Precision 5 is no ordinary razor. It is a sword in the battle for beliefs. It's a banner's wave into a new economy. A precision instrument to force will companies to earn back your dollar and stop denigrating your values. It's also still a razor. It'll give you a great shave. The Precision 5 starts at $14.99. With a price this low, it has never been easier to stop giving your money to woke corporations who hate your guts. Join over 200,000 customers who ditched their woke razors and switched on over to Jeremy's. There's never been a better time. Head on over to jeremysrazors.com today. Meanwhile, in the midst of all of this chaos, the Army's recruitment efforts continue to be a complete disaster area. According to Breitbart.com, the Army's recruiting of white soldiers in 2023 had dropped by almost half in the last five years, according to a report, that dramatic decline has coincided with a push by the service to increase recruitment of a more diverse population. According to that report, that decline of white recruits has also coincided with the Army missing its target of 65,000 recruits in 2023 by 10,000. Again, the, the kind of Army strategy, which seems to be promotion of diversity above actual military capacity, is kind of an amazing thing. And the fact is that disproportionately, the military draws from conservative areas of the United States, promoting the individual sexual exploration of your recruits is probably not the thing that is going to draw people to the American military. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, of course, has taken a uh, rather weak position on foreign policy, and it's led to all of these conflicts. When it comes to the economy, by the way, the economy continues not to be Joe Biden's friend. According to the Wall Street Journal, inflation edged up in December. A reminder of the pressure still facing consumers. Inflation's cool down from the historic highs of the last three years keeps the Federal Reserve on track to hold rates steady later this month. But it's not clear they're going to end up cutting all of those interest rates. And Joe Biden really needs the interest rates cut if he wants to see some sort of artificial economic boom before the election. Economic stagnation, by the way, is the recipe for the next few years in the United States. The consumer price index increased 3.4% from a year earlier in December. That acceleration from November's 3.1% advance shows inflation is not fully beaten. By the way, when you say not fully beaten, I understand that we all got used to like crazy numbers, like 9% inflation year on year. 
And a large part of that was because of supply chain shocks. Um, but normally, the inflation rate is supposed to be 2%. They're missing that 2% by a large margin when it's coming in hot at 3.4%. And when core inflation is at 3.9%. And by the way, you know what's going to exacerbate all that? Supply chain shocks. It's going to exacerbate all of that. Meanwhile, Joe Biden trying to happy talk his way through this here is Joe Biden's top economic advisor, Lil Brainerd. She says, don't worry, Joe Biden is fighting for consumers, which is weird because consumers are just getting shellacked. Um, so if you run down inflation from since President Biden came into office, overall CPI inflation is up 17.6%. Food, you're talking about, is up about 34%. Electricity is up 27%. So what's your message to Americans who are feeling this every day when they buy and use things? Yeah, so uh, the president's message is very much he's uh, fighting for American consumers. He is fighting to lower costs. Um, by spending more money? by facilitating massive disruptions in the supply chain. Would that be it? Meanwhile, speaking of other massive disruptions to the American way of life, and one of the biggest problems for Joe Biden is that he could have run as a moderate and governed as a moderate. He could have done those things. He did not do those things. He ran for the primaries as a moderate. Then he shifted to his left for the general, figuring he'd beat Donald Trump. And then he governed as somebody of the left wing of his party. And now he is held hostage by the left wing of his party. This particular Trump order policy. Again, what's amazing right now is that Joe Biden could fix so many problems with his administration if he would just acknowledge that the border needs to be closed. Remember, there is a bill waiting to be passed that involves massive funding for Ukraine that would get Ukraine through probably another year of fighting off Russian aggression. There's a bill that would provide $14 billion in aid to Israel so Israel could finish the job with Hamas and also push off Hezbollah in their north. That same bill provides defense aid to Taiwan to prevent the possibility and deter the possibility of a Chinese blockade or invasion of the island. All Joe Biden has to do to get that is solidify the border. That's all he has to do. And he is saying no. He is saying no. And so all of those problems continue to metastasize, all of them, Ukraine, Hamas, Taiwan, and the border all continue to metastasize. Why? Because Joe Biden actually wants to stop the first three. He knows that foreign chaos is not good for his reelect efforts, but he will not give up on the open border. It's an amazing thing. Why? Because his own base, like large swaths of his own base, have taken the ideological position that people have a right to come to the United States. That is literally the position that's being taken by so many members of his own caucus. So Representative Pramila Jayapal, a wild left progressive, crazy kooky person. She says that Joe Biden has been too heavy handed on the southern border. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I've been to the southern border. That is just a lie. He's been too heavy handed on the southern border. I mean, the Border Patrol has already been turned into bellmen for illegal immigrants. That's exactly what's happened on the southern border. I mean, we'll have all sorts of content coming out about this in, in the near future, all the film and, and what's going on. It's a deep dive into the border. It is a disaster area down there. But the only, I guess, Pramila Jayapal is just mad that the border patrol agents aren't bringing like fizzy drinks for the illegal immigrants. Like that's the only thing I can think of that she's talking about here. There is so much fear mongering going on that it is difficult to know exactly where to start. But let me say this. First, the Biden administration is enforcing immigration laws. In fact, the administration has been so heavy handed in recent months that I have serious concerns about how they are conducting border enforcement. Out of their mind, out of their damned minds, heavy handed by what metric, by what metric? We went through the stats a little bit earlier this week by the stats, at least 2.4 million people have entered the country illegally at least across the southern border in the last year. 
Okay, that in fiscal year 2023, that's insane. Okay, but but it's too heavy handed. Again, if Joe Biden chooses to allow his campaign to be held hostage by these people, he's going to lose and he deserves to lose, which is why Republicans should probably get out of his way. Or like, don't, first rule of politics, don't get in the way of your opponent when he's making a mistake. It's why all the fights that are happening right now about budgeting and all of the rest of this, let's be real about this. The serious drivers of federal debt are not all the discretionary programs that are currently being greenlit and whatever budget deal Mike Johnson cuts with the Democrats. I don't love it. I think it's a bad deal. Also, you have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. Let's be real about this. What Republicans need, what the country needs more than anything else, is Joe Biden out of office and Democrats not in control in the Senate. If you get in the way of that, you're going to end up with more Democratic governance. In order to actually effectuate your agenda, you have to hold power. You can't just hold some of the power. You have to hold enough power to be able to do what you want to do. This is why you know, I have nothing but sympathy for people who are very upset with the deal that Mike Johnson is about to cut with regard to the continuing funding of the government. But this notion that you're going to oust him because you're mad at him now. Yeah, said McCarthy because you're mad at him. Maybe the incentive structure is that he's going to have to cut that deal because what is the alternative? Going into permanent government shutdown? I know there are some people in the base who might want that. Let me just explain. If that happens, Joe Biden is the president for another four years. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is obviously ailing. And this also has an impact on how foreign policy is conducted. It has a feeling it is, it is a, there's a pervasive feeling this administration is not in control, that it's completely out of control. Now, what was always funny about the Trump administration is Trump himself felt like he was not in control, but it felt like the administration was in control. Why? Because Donald Trump was the rhetorical face of his own administration, but his rhetoric very often did not match his policy. It's why, by the way, you are seeing emerging gaps inside the Republican coalition on a wide variety of ideological issues because Trump talked in one way and then his administration did something different. Donald Trump talked like an isolationist, but then his administration was pretty hawkish. Donald Trump, for example, was big into the idea of, say, American subsidies and tariffs. But his administration actually facilitated, for the most part, free trade deals and non-subsidies. And so, so a lot of what his administration did is not the stuff that Donald Trump talked about. And so, so there was always a feeling with Trump that, OK, fine, so he's tweeting something now. But at least I know, at least I know that the economy is good and peace is breaking out in the Middle East and we don't have an ongoing supply chain crisis in the Red Sea, and we're not super worried about China invading Taiwan and all like that's how it feels with Joe Biden. Number one, he can't actually speak anymore. Every time he speaks, as I said before, it's like watching Nick Willenda cross a volcano on a tightrope. You're just waiting for him to fall down. That's the real reason you're watching is because you want to know where you were the moment that Joe Biden collapsed. I mean, it really is sad. It's not good for the country. It's not good for Joe Biden. It's really sad. And beyond that, so he can't speak and his administration is out of control. So he's got a secretary of defense who goes completely AWOL for a week. No problem. He's got a secretary of transportation who's, who goes completely AWOL for two months. No problem. Who the hell is in control over there? It certainly is not Joe Biden. How much is it not Joe Biden? They're now trotting out Jill to basically say, you should have sympathy for my aged husband. So yesterday, Joe Biden did the rounds talking about how Joe Biden's age was an asset. If his age were an asset, don't you think it would be Joe Biden in this interview and not Dr. Jill, the greatest doctor of all who can heal your heart attack with an education paper? Here we go. Your husband is 81. At the end of a second term, he'd be 86. As his life partner of 46 years, is there a part of you that is worried about his age and health? Can he do it? He can do it. And I see Joe every day. I see him out you know, traveling around this country, I see his vigor, I see his energy, I see his passion every single day. Mm. So to those who say I can't vote for Joe Biden, he's too old. What do you say? 
I say his age is an asset. <laughs> he's wise. Yes, he's wise. He has wisdom. He has experience. He knows every leader on the world stage. He's lived history. He knows history. Mm-hmm. He's thoughtful in his decisions. He is the right man or the right person for the job at this moment in history. I mean, just because he lived through the Peloponnesian War doesn't mean that he is sentient anymore. He he knows every world leader. He doesn't even know who's in the room. He thinks dead people are alive in rooms that he goes into. He doesn't know the names of the members of his own cabinet. He doesn't know where he is half the time, which is why, again, that video last week of Joe Biden giving what was essentially his kickoff campaign speech over at Valley Forge and Jill Biden charging up there like a night nurse trying to drag him back to bed because he's wandering the halls and may pee in a corner somewhere. I mean, it's an amazing video. She literally charges up. I mean, she's she's faster than, she's like Usain Bolt off that line. He finishes that speech and she is up there like, bam, like a shot. And she grabs him and she tries to trot him back, but not before he whispers back in the microphone, I know about power. And then she like drags him off the stage. It's like a vaudeville act. She grabs like a big old cane and just zips him off the stage. And we're supposed to believe that things are going well. And then Jill has to assure us that we don't know how hard Joe works. Well, maybe we don't know how hard Joe works because he calls a lid every afternoon at 2 p.m. so he can go down to the local Denny's for the early bird special. And I think what people don't see is how hard Joe works every single day, that he gets up thinking what he can do for the American people. Oh, is that is that what he gets up doing? Again, I've said before, and it's true, Joe Biden must be the happiest person in the world because every morning he wakes up and somebody tells him he's president. It must be just incredible. So in any case, all of this means that he's in an awful lot of trouble. By the way, one of the ways you know that he's in an awful lot of trouble, an astonishing column today from Brett Stevens. So Brett Stevens is about as large a Trump critic as is possible to be. Brett Stevens is not a Trump fan. I believe he voted against him in both 2016 and 2020. He's a conservative in terms of foreign policy, but not in terms of social policy. He writes a column for the New York Times today. And here is what it says, quote, the case for Trump by someone who wants him to lose. The entire column is about how things were better when Trump was president. It's true. It's a true thing. Just barring a political miracle or an act of God, it is overwhelmingly likely that Donald Trump will again be the Republican Party's nominee for president. Lord help us. What should those of us who have consistently opposed him do? You can't defeat an opponent if you refuse to understand what makes him formidable. Too many people, especially progressives, fail to think deeply about the enduring sources of his appeal. Since I will spend the coming year strenuously opposing his candidacy, let me here make the best case for Trump that I can. He says, begin with fundamentals. Trump got three big things right. Arguably, the single most important geopolitical fact of the century is the mass migration of people from south to north and east to west, causing tectonic, demographic, cultural, economic, and ultimately political shifts. Trump understood this from the start of his presidential candidacy in 2015. Many of Trump's opponents refused to see virtually unchecked migration as a problem for the West at all. Only now, as the consequence of Joe Biden's lackadaisical approach to mass migration have become depressingly obvious on the sidewalks and in shelters and public schools of liberal cities like New York and Chicago, are Trump's opponents on this issue beginning to see the point. The second big thing Trump got right was about the broad direction of the country. Trump rode a wave of pessimism to the White House, pessimism his detractors did not share because he was speaking about and to an America they either didn't see or understood only as caricature. But just as with this year, when liberal elites insist things are going well, while overwhelming majorities of Americans say they are not, Trump's unflattering view captured the mood of the country. 
Finally, there's the question of institutions that are supposed to represent impartial expertise from elite universities and media to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the FBI. Trump's detractors, including me, often argued his demagoguery and mendacity did a lot to needlessly diminish trust in these vital institutions. But we should be more honest with ourselves and admit those institutions did their own work in squandering through partisanship or incompetence the esteem in which they had once been widely held. Absolutely right. And then he says, you know, there are a lot of readers, again, this is the New York Times, who are saying, yes, but what about January 6th? What about election denialism and the threat to democracy? But it's important to stretch one's mind a little, says Brett Stevens, and try to understand why so many voters are unimpressed about the end of democracy argument. For one thing, haven't they heard it before and with the same apocalyptic intensity? In 2016, Trump was frequently compared to Benito Mussolini and other dictators, including by me, says Brett Stevens. The comparison might have been more persuasive if Trump's presidency had been replete with jailed and assassinated political opponents, rigged or canceled elections, a muzzled or captured press, and Trump still holding office today. But none of that is true. Many rank and file Republicans regard the January 6th assault on the Capitol as a disgrace and the lowest point of Trump's presidency. But they also believe it wasn't so much an insurrection as it was an ugly temper tantrum by Trump and his most rabid supporters, which never had a chance of succeeding. An American version of Vladimir Putin, he simply is not. As it is, the 2024 election will not hinge on questions of democracy, but of delivery. Which candidate will do more for voters? And here and you got a problem. This is why Brett Stevens, he's right. He's right. The systemic problem with Joe Biden's presidency is that he is a bad president. He is bad at the presidenting. And so all of these legal attacks on Trump, I don't think they're going to damage him. They're already baked into the cake. Every outsized idiotic statement by the left about how Donald Trump is going to disappear the gays helps. Like when Whoopi Goldberg says this, you think this really hurts Trump? Here's Whoopi Goldberg saying that when Donald Trump becomes president, he's going to disappear the gays, which like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? In 2016, he held a gay pride flag while he was campaigning. Donald Trump as social con warrior theocrat killing the gay. Like what in the world? These people are out of their mind. I'm going to be on day one. I'm going to be a dictator. Who says it to you, tells you, I'm going to put you people away. I'm going to take all the journalists. I'm going to take all the gay folks. I'm going to move you all around and disappear you. <laughs> if that's the country you want, you know who to vote for. Well, if, that's not, if that's not the country you want, you have to make a decision. Or maybe the decision is between somebody who says wild and crazy things. And I disagree with a lot of the things, but actually did the president thing kind of well. And somebody who sucks at the president thing. Maybe it's that. Again, I, I don't know that three, four, uh, that four years out from January 6th, 2021, you can continue to run on this. I just don't know. Like Hakeem Jeffries, Speaker of the House, in waiting, right? the, the, the minorities, minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries, he says that uh, House Republicans are the party of insurrection and impeachment. Aren't people getting bored with this? Isn't this tired and old? This week has once again revealed that extreme MAGA Republicans have zero interest in doing anything productive that is designed to benefit the American people. House Republicans are the party of insurrection, impeachment, and illegitimate investigations. Nothing more, nothing less. Insurrection, impeachment, and illegitimate investigations. These extremists have made clear once again this week that they have no ideas, no agenda, no vision, and have made no progress on solving problems 
for everyday Americans. Okay, I have a question. What problems for everyday Americans have you guys solved? Can like what? Can we get can we get a list? Do they outweigh the problems that you've created for everyday Americans? That is going to be the question of the 2024 election. All righty, folks. Coming up, we'll be joined on the line by Yosef Haddad. He's an Arab-Israeli from Nazareth, CEO of Together, Vouch for Each Other, and a commentator on I-24 News, as well as an IDF combat veteran. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us.